Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Okay. So joining us today is Dr. Dwen Vo, who actually works alongside Nick and I. And we wanted to invite her onto the podcast because she's brilliant, very smart, and because she had a really good question for us to chew on today. And so without further ado, we're going to allow Dr. Dwen Vo to present a topic for us to chat about today. How are you doing, Dwen? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... Uh, when you two first invited me, I thought, well, what the heck am I going to bring to the table for discussion? But more recently, I, um, while meeting with the client, the topic kind of came to me. Um, so I kind of want to share this with you to kind of get your, 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 pick your brains and get your thoughts and approaches to this. But like, what do you do when you have a client who sits in front of you and, um, maybe doesn't share some of the same beliefs as you. So you two, um, there's a mismatch between your beliefs. Um, that's not necessarily an issue, but if that mismatch keeps coming up, it's a prominent thing that keeps coming up. Um, and then also the fact that if they have a certain belief and that belief leads them to engage in actions or behaviors or coping strategies that are just not conducive to psychological well-being adjustment that kind of thing then as far as we're concerned like it's it's an issue it's clinically clinically relevant to address so that's kind of broadly but more specifically I was kind of thinking of if the client truly believes in and highly relies on like alternative approaches like medicine or healing that you refer to as new agey types of things like um, energy healing for instance heavily relying on that to cope so um, what do you do with that? So I wanted to kind of see if you've had similar experiences and how you have approached that. I thought this was a really interesting question. And and um, the example that you give is a good one. You know, the alternative new age. Is that what you called it, Doctor? Well, like alternative medicine. Alternative yeah. medicine. Um, stuff that is not very well supported scientifically. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of presented as a treatment or you know approach to yeah. fixing something so my inclination though was to look at like what's what's the root of this issue and immediately look at like well there's a mismatch in belief systems right um but on some level any client who's presenting with some pathology is going to have a belief system that is maladaptive sure right mm-hmm. But it leads to more interesting questions for like, when is that a problem? How, do, how, do I, how can I tell if that's a problem or not therapeutically? Or how do I know um, whether I'll be able to work with this client? You know, there, it seems to introduce a lot of really interesting questions into the therapeutic setting, I guess. And when you say maladaptive, I'm, I'm assuming what you mean is not that you don't like it or you think it's bad, but it's not working for them right. in not their life. Them. Right. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't necessarily care if they share the same belief systems as, as, as I do, but um, it's the, the ramifications of holding on to that belief and if that's functional for them or not, then it's my job to really examine that. What are, can you give us an example of this client and what are some of the specific beliefs 
And how do you see it getting in the way of their life? So like, um, I've seen her for about a year and a half now. So now she's, she's done way better. She's improved quite a bit. Um, so a lot of what I'm about to say may not be as relevant anymore, but when she first came in, um, she would, you know, um, often get like tarot card readings, things like that, um, to, look for solutions in life or to confirm a certain decision that she's made. Am I, am I making the right move? So, um, um, or sometimes really struggling with just general angst altogether, if not like depressive or anxiety symptoms. And it's particularly hard that day. She'll go, oh yeah, I'll just stop by the nearest, uh, you know, herbal shop and get a specific tincture for that specific set of symptoms that day. Um, so then my job then is, in my opinion and how I've been approaching that is, you know, I can't comment on any of those things by virtue of my training and also where the field is. I can't comment on on that because it lacks empirical evidence. <laughs> um, so I can't comment on that. Um, but um, how do you go about finding, like, what are the intentions behind doing those things? And might you be able to find alternative ways to replicate some of that without the actual means of a tincture or a tarot card reading? So devil's advocate, um, even if there's no scientific support for, let's say, tarot card readings, I don't believe there is any scientific support. <laughs> um we, we also don't know for sure that it doesn't work. So what's, what's so bad about getting a tarot card reading every once in a while? But I think for her, then, if you think about it in terms of like, just generally, like, locus of control, like, expectancy of how much control I have over making decisions or um, uh, fixing decisions or et cetera, I think that the way that she's using the readings is in a way that um, further confirms beliefs about herself, um, like lacking self-efficacy, lacking ability to make sound decisions. Um, so the act of her relying on the card readings really interferes with her ability to learn that, hey, I, I can actually make decisions on my own apart from the readings themselves. Because potentially if she makes a decision and then gets a tarot card reading that says that was a wrong decision, she's got oh, more information that absolutely. says I'm incapable of making good decisions. Right. That's interesting. So then my yeah. work is, hmm, I wonder if there's other pieces of evidence as besides the reading. Because, again, I don't have evidence to say whether or not the reading itself is accurate or not, right? So it, might there be other piece of, pieces of evidence in your life that might also suggest that you might have made the right decision or a not-so-good decision and go from there and not heavily rely on one source of confirmation or disconfirmation? Yeah. Seems like it could be problematic the other way, too, in that even if you made a good decision, you might tend to discredit your part in that because you would just say, well, it was the, it was really the tarot I cards. I followed the it cards. It wasn't me. Yeah. You know, right. So it's, or I got the tincture, the ratio just right. Right. <laughs> and when you, when, when you use the term locus of control, like that's a kind of a psychological term, but it basically gets at the importance psychologically and for our own well-being 
that we have an accurate sense of what we do and don't have control over in right, our lives and right. how important that is to general well-being and mental health. Right. And it's a it's a belief and expectancy of like when I do things, can I actually make things happen favorably, et cetera, for myself or not? Or things just happen to me. Mm-hmm. And so if you're constantly going to tarot card readings, you're sort of reinforcing the idea that I don't, I don't have a whole lot of, I need this to help me make decisions. I can't make decisions on my own. Right. So another another, another devil's advocate position here. Um, how's that any different from going to therapy? Hmm. Like, wouldn't couldn't you make How the same argument dare about... dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if someone just comes to therapy all the time and they're getting, you know, even if they're not getting explicit advice from their therapist, their he- therapist is helping them work through decisions and behavior change and stuff like that. So sure. aren't we doing the same thing? Aren't we reinforcing people's lack of perceived lack of control? Hmm. I don't, I, well, I think that if it's done right, then what you're doing is helping them improve decision-making um, skills and, and enhancing their own accurate interpretation of control, I guess, or accurate perception of control. You're not convincing me. If you're an outsider and you see tarot card reading, therapy, basically the same thing, <laughs> what's your case for why is therapy different than tarot card reading or getting we you know, a tincture? Or... We don't have cards. <laughs> <laughs> We're just really making it up. At least they have cards. Well, and ho- hopefully your therapist is actually trained from empirically supported literature about the processes of behavior change and cognition. So so the core idea is that we, we have science on our side and tarot cards don't. Is that the yes. only, that's the big difference? Well, and I don't think a therapist is, is really telling you how to live your life. I don't think that should be a goal for therapy. It should be, be more about your thought processes and behavior patterns and being able to evaluate them for functionality, not about giving you some kind of guidance towards any one outcome, I think. Yeah, um, I I may, my thoughts may change. (laughs) This is on the spot, but I'm kind of thinking of it. Yes, I think in some ways we might be functioning like a, you know, tarot card reading. I have a client who's made tremendous progress, but then like every time she would like stand up to her husband, be able to be assertive, makes, you know, requests, et cetera, walking away appropriately, um, not being, not backing down appropriately, et cetera. She would do all of that. And then immediately she'd call me and a friend, like, did I do the right thing? I, I think I did the right thing, but I just want to make sure, you know, that that you can walk me through what we've been talking about. Well, I guess and then depending on how you answer, you either become a right. therapist or a tarot right. card reader. So in that sense, right, um, I, I agree with you that I would be, be no different than the tarot cards themselves. But then, um, and again, it, it my answer to that would be dependent upon where she was in her progress. Maybe at first I would be more confirming or reaffirming and then review the things we've talked about and said, yeah, you did great there, etc. But then I would back off a little bit more and allow for her to walk through her decisions and come to the actual conclusion that, yes, I did the right decision based upon these things. And then maybe I could have improved on it based upon these things. Mm-hmm. Then I think that that sets me apart from tarot cards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good answer. Or to be able to, to say, you know, here, here are the values we discussed in this area of your life. How did your 
behavior decisions match up with those values. You tell me. What do you think about what you did? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I guess the the, the tarot card, I don't know much about tarot cards, but <laughs> it's much more like a hor- like a horoscope, right? Where you're getting general non-specific feedback. How specific does a tarot I don't know. How specific are the is the output from a tarot card reading? We really should have had a, a professional tarot card reader right. on this episode. Yes. As well. <laughs> Next week's guest. We need more chords and mics in there. I, okay, so I'm curious though, Dwayne. Once you, you you've sort of suspected, okay, this reliance on tarot card reading ultimately is not doing my client a lot of good. In in some ways, it's probably harming um, her. So when you introduce, how do you introduce that? Like, how do you get her to start? I don't know, questioning her reliance on tarot or moving in a different direction? Or what does that actually look like? First, can I, can I interrupt here? Because I think you said something really good, Nick, which is no judgment about the tarot card reading specifically. It's the over-reliance yes. on that to make decisions that you're, right? And so, yeah, how, how do you? And that's exactly part of what I, how I approach that is, listen, I'm, I'm trained to be more like to follow this, the scientific, you know, tradition. Um, and so ethically too, I also have to function in that capacity. Um, so, um, these things that are not conducive to scientific, you know, investigation. Um, so we don't have a body of evidence to prove or disprove or confirm or disconfirm the efficacy or, you know, behind this Reiki or um, tarot cards, etc. So I can't comment on whether or not it's good, it's bad. Not my, my interest. My interest is I'm sharing with you what the body of evidence suggests. Um, and by you relying on it, um, on, on a particular reading itself. Like, what does it do for you? What does it cause you to do more of in the future? If it perpetually gets you to more and more rely on the readings, then I say, I'm not interested in that because that's against my goal with you, which is to help you develop and strengthen up your self-confidence and self-reliance. Gotcha. That, that makes some sense. How do people react to that? How, how did this client react to that? She reacted favorably. She said, like, actually, I've been to other therapists before who were either, like, very accepting. I don't know what that meant. Very accepting of that or clearly just, like, you know, basically was very critical um, uh, of such a belief. Um, and so she said she was reluctant to kind of share some of that with with me. And so she was relieved to know that I wasn't like criticizing or judging that belief, but that I was neutral to that. Um, yeah, so she kind of took it pretty well. So she continued to bring it up. But again, with my reinforcement, that is, if I rely on this, it may work, it may not work. I don't know. And that's what I actually say to her. I don't know that. But if you simply rely on this one thing, I don't know if this is serving you down the road. Right. An analogy in my mind is, is maybe like uh, drinking, like alcohol use, right? Like you, I'm not going to say if, if you have a beer every night, like uh, maybe that's not great for you. Maybe it's totally fine for you. I don't know. But if you're drinking, you know, a 12 pack every single night and you're relying on that as your way to put you to sleep or to numb out your anxieties. There's nothing inherently wrong with a beer necessarily, right? But clearly it's not working for you in your life. And so I think the point you're making is a really good one that 
you're being agnostic on whether tarot itself is good or bad, helpful mm-hmm. or not helpful. But the way your client is using it and what it's doing for them could be unhelpful right. for them and their goals in their life. Right. And so for the client I'm referencing now, like after a year and a half, she still goes for Reiki massages. But then when she would say, oh, yeah, that was really helpful. How was that helpful to you? Um, You know, because now when I go there, it's an hour to myself. It's away from the kids. I don't have to explain myself. I deserve this one hour. I worked hard. And when I'm there, I'm just like, screw it. I'll just let my mind wander um, and not fester or ruminate on certain things that are unhelpful. Then I say, keep going for your Reiki massages. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, is that the point you're kind of? Yeah, totally. Have you, I'm curious, have you guys ever had an incident where it did not go so smoothly when you um, (laughs) encouraged your clients to uh, change their relationship with, with something like this? Well, first of all, I want to clarify, I'm I'm not actually recommending folks to go and do those things, but my (laughs) point is how she's using it and the thought process behind it. Okay. (laughs) But have you ever encountered like a very strong belief that you think um, was not working for your client and then tried to sort of highlight that and it was, mm, didn't go well? Not about a specific, well... I think that kind of happens all the time. You're, I mean, we're always as therapists kind of saying, hey, did you notice this? And that may not be working all that well. And so you're all, so it's common to get that kind of pushback, I think. What, okay, so I'll, I'm, I'm fishing here, obviously. <laughs> so, um, I, I think I might have something. Like I, I, I accuse people of like thinking of themselves as like a victim a lot. Like you're victimizing yourself. I accuse them of, of that a lot. And yeah, it's kind of 50 50 sometimes it's like yes yes i am how do we go forward right. from here and then the other half is you know put in your expletives <laughs> i'm joking okay. of course but yeah. um that it kind of causes a not necessarily a rift but certainly a uh, a moment of pause between mm-hmm. your interactions so yeah and that's a fine line in therapy generally is i often think that my i have kind of two jobs i need to be supportive enough of my clients so that they feel safe, comfortable, empowered enough to, to do difficult things and make important changes in their life. But I also have to challenge them and things have to get uncomfortable sometimes. So it's, it can be a really fine line, um, between those two things of being, you know, supportive and encouraging of your client, which you of course are, but also needing to challenge them and kind of push them. Right. Times. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't accuse someone of victimizing themselves for a session. <laughs> um, probably not. A great idea. <laughs> probably not. But yeah, like down the road when you have that that relationship um, to kind of buffer against, then you can then negotiate um, that balance between nurturance and mm-hmm. support and calling them out on their own actions. Yeah. I find it really hard these days. One place this comes up for me, I see a lot of clients with anxiety disorders and um, things are, I think most people would agree things are, at least in this country, politically tumultuous, um, regardless of where you where you are on the political spectrum. And so a lot of people come in to session saying, I'm so stressed out. I've just been worried like crazy. Um, you know, I'm thinking about you know, the, the whole political environment and wars and nuclear disaster. And, you know, they're, they're just really kind of in a tizzy because it turns out they're basically plugged into the news 24-7 reading all these, you know, awful kind of like stimulating headlines and reports. And 
So one of the things I, I will try and ask people essentially is like, what are you getting out of being plugged into the news 24 seven? Like, is that really, is that helpful to you in your life? Um, Cause it seems to me like that can be feeding a lot of anxiety and stress without much of a benefit. And I've gotten some major pushback <laughs> on that kind of, I need like, we are living in critical times. I got to be up to date on the news all the time. I got to know everything that's happening. I got to, so I've got some strong pushback to my sort of questioning uh, p- my client's relationship with uh, the news. And actually they kind of gave you an answer. Like I have to be, I have to know all the time, right? So obviously there's like this, some anxiety. And if I'm not well informed constantly, then disaster could strike and I wouldn't be prepared. So there's kind of an answer there. Um, and I, I've had, I had a client who, you know, when, when, when they would look at the news online, there's like a headline about, are you prepared in the five best ways for retirement or whatever? And they would click on those articles and read like the five things they should be doing to prepare for retirement. They're like, Oh my gosh, am I doing all those? And every headline. And finally, and my advice was like, stop, stop link hitting that link. Like, just <laughs> don't do it. You know? And they were like, well, how am I going to know if I'm doing the five things I need to be doing to prepare for retirement? Um, but weeks later, they're like, I feel way better. I haven't looked at those links at all. Mm-hmm. And I feel so much better. I talked to my financial advisor. Everything's fine. You know, I'm just going to trust him. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. So this gets it. Sometimes the way I think about my job is I, my job isn't to tell people what beliefs are right or wrong. Right. But my job is to help them cultivate a thoughtful attitude towards their own beliefs. All of us have beliefs, right? But what we don't often do is routinely think about our beliefs, especially think about how are these beliefs working? What are they doing in our lives? Are they helping us? Are they hurting us? Are they like, regardless of whether they're, you know, capital T true or not, how are they working for us psychologically? Um, and so helping people examine their own beliefs is, I feel like is a big part of our job. Right. Yeah. I, um, often talk about it in the sense of like, you know, you have a closet or like a a garage, you fill it up with stuff, even in your closet periodically, if not every spring or winter periodically, you'd go in and like, Oh, I don't fit in that shirt anymore. Let me throw it out. Oh, that shirt's a nice shirt. I haven't worn it in a while, but it's still special. Let me keep it. Even with things like that, you periodically re-examine to see if it's still working for me or not. Do I still want it or not? But yet for something that's more crucial, like my beliefs is, are they working for me? Are they helping me? Are they even important to me anymore? Are they even, you know, relevant <laughs> um, anymore? We don't do that. Yeah, that's a great, I like that. <laughs> I'm going to just steal that shamelessly. Go for that's it. a really good just analogy. footnote me. <laughs> 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 so I've got a, I, I, I want to touch on the other question that Dwayne had because I think it's more interesting. What was the other question she had? Well, the other, the other kind of thing that this runs into is like when clients have belief systems that kind of fly in the face of your own belief systems. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a really interesting topic. Like what happens when you have a client who um, espouses some kind of political view that's just really different from your own or religious views or um, social views that are just really different? And, And how as a therapist do you manage 
um, or negotiate that terrain. The kind of questions you're not supposed to talk about at dinner parties. Right. (laughs) 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 Yeah. What happens when a client says, uh, or, or this, this happens frequently once a year, twice a year, a parent wants to bring their adolescent kid in because he's found pornography and they feel very strongly that their child should never look at pornography, should never masturbate, shouldn't do any of those things. Right. And when the parents kind of pressuring you or telling you, here's what you need to do, fix them, get them to stop doing this. What do you do? You're not in the business of <laughs> fixing 16 year olds. You know, no, I don't think I've ever done it. You know, <laughs> not even interested in that actually. Um, I think inevitably you will come across people, you know, whose beliefs are just not at all what you would prescribe, you know, ascribe to. Um, But in a situation like that, I often kind of think of it as, again, my job isn't to tell you what belief to hold. Like I'm no better in the judge of that than, than anyone is, but it's, again, is it working for you? So even if it's noxious to me, your political views, et cetera, but in your context, in your life, maybe you associate with other people who share the same beliefs, and that doesn't cause conflicts, doesn't cause arguments, etc. And that may even strengthen your ties to your friends. Then, then I'll have to deal with it differently as you're sitting in front of me. But if you hold that belief and then you vomit it across mm-hmm. um, people and settings in your life, and then now your boss is on your case and you're wife, etc. Um, then I would bring it right to front and center. Like, wait, this belief, or at least how you're expressing it, yeah. is this serving you? That's a good one. I, a, a recent one that I, I have dealt with a couple of times is the issue of vaccines. Um, that's kind of another one of these recent kind of hot button issues. And one of the, one of the things that I think helps me keep um, distance on the issues themselves, even if I have a really strong reaction to someone's belief about, you know, whether they should vaccinate their kids or not is the way I think about my job. And one of the metaphors I have for my job as a therapist is I often think of myself as I'm like a mechanic. So imagine you're a, you're a mechanic who specializes in rebuilding cars. Like you get an old junker and someone comes in and says, help me rebuild this and turn it into a pristine, beautiful version of what it used to be. Sometimes I think people come in with um, with things and like if you were a mechanic and someone came in with a, I don't know, a 1992 Toyota Camry and said, man, I want to fix this baby up and have it looking like brand new. You would think nothing against Toyota Camrys, but a ca- you want you want to pour 10 grand into a 90, <laughs> 1992 Camry? Like really? <laughs> I would disagree but with the, you. I do have a white Toyota camera <laughs> sitting in my parents' driveway. They're great cars, totally but are they? <laughs> is it worth ten grand restoring it to its former ninety-two glory? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But that my job as a mechanic is not to tell someone a Camry is a good car to restore or not restore. My job, they come in with a with a Camry and they want to restore it, and I'm going to help them restore it. So I think this gets to our point of. A lot of times, a therapist—it's not about what's true or not; it's about what's working or not. Um, and so, I—the th- a lens I use a lot in therapy, especially when I get some sort of like strong emotional response to someone else's belief systems—is remember, you're you're a mechanic, like you're not a priest, you're not like a ethicist. Your job is to functionally 
help someone. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That, that's one of those little like things I just kind of remind myself of is that like, how, how's this working for them? The belief itself is not, that's not my job. That's above my pay grade, frankly. Mm-hmm. What do you, you brought this up, Dr. So what do you, what do you think? We've both elaborated on this. Uh, I, I just think it's an interesting topic and question. It comes up a lot, I think. I mean, I mean of course, like Dr. Vole, you, you mentioned like this comes up a lot. Um, and I do like the the metaphor of the car and the mechanic because I, I definitely can follow that. The, the other part is though is helping them evaluate, I guess, their expectations for you know when you dump ten grand into this nineteen ninety two Camry, what are your expectations there? What is, what is that going to look like and how is that going to work and 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 what kind of need is that fulfilling for you? Mm-hmm. You know, um, maybe maybe restoring a '92 Camry is is a, an attempt to get back to the glory days of of 1992. Yeah, maybe there's an unrealistic expectation about what will happen when that <laughs> car rolls out of the shop. I guess I don't know, but I would want to know that. I would want to know. Um, but I do have, I do sometimes. I don't know if I take issue with, or I do sometimes question my own you know am i going to be able to to check my own bias or biases with certain clients like can i can i just passionately be this person's therapist without becoming triggered or or just affected by the conversation that we're going to have over the next four or five months what would an example of that be of you being um unhelpfully affected by someone's a client's belief what would that look like if you if you got to the point where you're like this isn't good i'm i'm clearly negatively affected by this well i i think um you know if if i had a a client who was like openly racist and really talked a lot about um how one group of people were inferior to another group of people and it was causing them a lot of frustration. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know how I would be, or if I would be able to be a good effective therapist for that person. I don't know. That's a, it's a question. I don't know. And the, the reason being you would be so, um, that would be so emotionally evocative for you that you might not be able to remain yeah, I neutral think, or objective. I think my bias would be a problem there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can say that pretty honestly. I guess luckily I've never encountered something that's that extreme wherein um, it might borderline this ethical decision of whether or not I should treat this person or not. So luckily I don't think I've been there. So given that, I think just a general rule that I've developed for myself that's worked you know, uh, relatively well is to be able to like recognize like, am I getting into like problem solving mode like too much um like i'm 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 actually coming up with answers or solutions to things then when i find myself doing that i'm generally more biased i'm either for this person and i'm feeling what they're feeling and i want to fix it or i'm i'm not rebelling but i'm highly reactive to them and it's right um so that's like my, my rule when I find myself like coming up with solution after solution. Yeah. I'm like, uh, okay, I, I'm, I'm losing perspective. Gotcha. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I have to think about um, attorneys. Like if you're a defense attorney and like someone, the most horrible criminal in the world 
gets a defense attorney. Like they will be some attorneys. There's some public defense attorney out there whose job it is to take the worst, most like heinous criminals and try and defend them in court. So I often think about like, man, first of all, I'm glad I don't have to do that. But it's a, it's a challenge, I think, for our profession is to be able to take, take on people who we really, really find difficult, maybe because of some of their beliefs, and to try and be helpful to them. Um, because like Lord knows, they're probably repelling a lot of people in their life if they have really um, intense beliefs, um, really kind of, uh, dif- yeah, difficult beliefs. So, yeah, and e- But even as an attorney, you can decide to take on or not take on a client. Um, yeah, but I think there are some, you get, everybody gets a court-mandated attorney. So there's, if, if oh, you're like a public defendant, like, yeah. I think... I think you have you to might get assigned a case. Yeah, that, you get yeah. assigned a case. Yeah. Um, um, and that might be true for like a public defender. But um, yeah, I don't know. But we've all made decisions about what kind of clients we'll see, mm-hmm. right? And and what were we sought out specific training to help certain types of clients. Mm-hmm. And and there there are certain presentations that I have decided I don't want to do, right? I don't, I don't want. I don't. And and for my own comfort or for my own interest, you know, I've just decided, Hey, there are certain clients, um, I'm not interested in treating. Um, and I'll give referrals and I'll, I'll, I'll do the, the ethical due diligence there, but we've all made decisions about, I'm not going to take this client on. And so I think that we're constantly making those decisions, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, I, part of my background, I worked with a lot of, um, they just happened to be female, although they, there were a handful of men as well, but, um, female, like survivors of physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, really heinous, horrific types of things that you could hear. And so, um, when I meet with clients who kind of know that in, in terms of my background and training, they would make comments like, oh man, I, I, I can't imagine how you could do that work. And I would often say like, no, championing and advocating for the disempowered and, you know, that's easy to do. But working with, let's say, sex offenders, I couldn't do. And luckily, in my life where I could make that choice, where that's not it for me. Maybe maybe at some point down the road, maybe it's worth it to me to follow that self-challenge and self-improvement to then go into that line of work. Maybe it'll serve me at some point down the road, but right now it's not serving me to want to mm-hmm. challenge myself in that way. But yeah, I have the, the choice and the luck to not have to do well, and that. That's a, that's a preemptive choice. Like right. I know I can make that decision now not to take on, but... I mean, it, it will probably happen too that you find yourself in the room two or three weeks into a session and all of a sudden, here we go. You know, there's, you know, some kind of knowledge that's uh, shared that you you have to kind of wonder, am I going to be able to be impartial and unbiased here and not allow my own feelings about this topic to impede this person's therapy? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I should probably wrap up. All right. Sure. Guys, that was good. Yeah. Gwen, thanks, thanks for coming on. Yes, thanks for thank having you. me. Yeah. I'm kind of growing attached to this makeshift microphone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can keep it if you want. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right.